Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining the Grave Talk on another quickie review, what have you, whatever we're doing. Point five, what, what, whatever we decide to go with. <laughs> Pointish five, yes. It's a, it's a extra episode, so be thankful to whatever god you worship. Are we not benevolent rulers? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're, we're getting together today because we wanted to talk about a documentary that we had the opportunity to review and watch. We got a screener for one called In Search of Darkness. Uh, this was put together by the Creator VC group, and they seem to be doing a series of In Search Ofs. The first one that I came across was one called In Search of the Last Action Hero. So it's going to be the same formula that we're going to be talking about today, but they're actually doing like 80s action films. Action. Oh, okay. Yeah. They are also going to be launching a campaign for another one called In Search of Tomorrow, which is going to be focused on science fiction. So they're they're doing all kinds of things in the in search of. I guess that's what they're trying to make their uh, their brand their, their brand. Thing, yeah, yeah. Well, honestly, though, if that's what they're doing, that's fine with me. This was quite enjoyable. So the one we're talking about again is called In Search of Darkness. This is a four and almost four and a half hour long documentary, like four hundred yeah. twenty minutes. Uh, one thing I did notice that this was a completely fan funded product is like, okay, we're going to go out to the guys that want this product. We'll raise the money with you and then we'll go ahead and deliver that. Um, it was originally supposed to come out in July, 2019, but now it's coming out at the end of the month. You can go to their website and pre-order that. I'll have a link to that in our show notes, but I think that's pretty good. I don't know if you guys have any uh, experience with kickstarting or Indiegogoing or anything. Every project that I've ever been involved with has taken like an extra year or something. <laughs> that degree. So just a month or two later, that's not too bad. I think, I think what you, it depends on what you do with those, those campaigns. Um, like video games tend to way underestimate what they, they think it'll take that I didn't take into account all this stuff. And then they overpromise, they underdeliver, And then I would say at this point, it's almost par for the course to crowdfund the, the project and then have a publisher come in and then just do the work at half the cost, like re basically relieve the publisher of the risk. And I don't know, I kind of, I still find it very shitty. I do not, I know it's, it's a way of business, but I really am not a huge fan when we pay for something. Yeah. And then someone comes in and it's like, oh, now we're going to do this and you're going to play by our company rules. It's like, no, the reason we did this outside of your company is because you wanted nothing to do with it usually beforehand. Yeah. The fact that they, they got this done by fans, for fans, that's awesome. When you, when you deal with a lot of backings in a lot of projects and they don't come out on time or, you know, like you said, they get swept up by some other publisher or something, it really kind of makes you not want to kickstart anything anymore. Like, it makes me hesitant to even dip my toes into it anymore. You know, like, let's say a movie's getting made and then they're like, we're making a super gory film and then they crowdfund it, it starts getting made, and then like a studio comes in that, that may be subject to the guidelines then of that studio. And, you know, you just run the risk. Right. So the fact that they didn't have this, I don't know if this would be four and a half hours if they had like a studio backing it. Oh, definitely not. Definitely I'm, not. It would have cut it down to two hours. Studios don't make four and a half hour <laughs> horror documentaries. Not even documentaries seem to go that long in most yeah. cases. I mean, unless we're Ken Burns. Uh, and in that case, you know, <laughs> my man's like strap in for the month. We're going to need 22 Blu-rays of content. Get ready. <laughs> Civil War 3 coming yeah. next month. But on the plus side, uh, every once in a while, you get a good Kickstarter like this one, which uh, seems to have met its goal and actually put its product out. So, yay. I also think what it depends on what you're kickstarting. I'd say like with video games, we tend to see that more. Um, some fan films tend to stay pretty independent. Um, a lot of art books and stuff stay very independent. Again, it just all depends on what it is. But um, True. And I really hate to point fingers, man, but me and you particularly 
watched a certain documentary about a certain new wave band that never materialized. Oh boy. <laughs> Devo documentary. Where are you? <laughs> oh man. It like, it's complete and just sitting on some guy's hard drive and they can't put it out for whatever reason. Whatever reason. I mean, but that's just, I mean, and that is the nature of the beast. So it's, it's nice to see that they did this. They hit their goal. They kicked out such an amazing product. Cause I am excited to talk about this one. 80s horror was honest. Most horrifying things that I'd ever seen. Terrific. It felt like a simpler time. Good and evil, right and wrong. It's pushing back against a lot of what's happening in the 80s at the time. Things that people really are afraid to talk about. Reaganomics, AIDS crisis. I wanted to do a balls out horror movie. <laughs> They interviewed, it seems like maybe 50 people in, in the horror business in the 80s. I can't imagine sifting through hours and hours yeah. of footage, putting this together in some cohesive you know, package. Navigating all the rights that they had to acquire, that was very impressive as well. The number of movie clips they were able to show. And uh, soundtrack clips yeah. too. So, ex I mean, that probably took forever. Uh, <laughs> Shout out to their background legal team. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Putting in that, that hard work. So I did a quick search just to see kind of what their fund might be, and I checked their Indiegogo page. It said they raised $310,000 roughly, and uh, over on their Kickstarter, it garnered them 99,000 pounds, which is about 121,000 bucks US. Wow. So for about so, 400,000, yeah. 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 Uh, great job, I got to admit. So what is In Search of Darkness exactly? Well, their website is pitting it as the definitive 80s horror documentary or the most complete retrospective of the genre ever made. And it, it takes us through year by year, highlighting some of the biggest movies of the, that year, while the while kind of splicing in, you know, what was happening in America at the time. What were the influences yeah, of trends horror? and influences? Think of like a, I love the eighties specifically for horror. They go year by year. I mean, and I mean that in a very positive way. I personally love the, I love this series. I have binge watched all it's of a guilty them. guilty pleasure, yes. man. So, uh, but that is like a very similar format where they'd have a year. Here are the movies here. Instead of comedians, it's actors, which, you know, is awesome and directors and other film folk uh, talking about it. And then, you know, on to the next one. The eighties were freaking influential with horror. As you see in this doc, in this documentary, it, I mean, yeah, they jump around from subject to subject. And we, we briefly talked about this, John, before you got here, Mark. Um, like it is kind of like, they don't just stick like, Oh, here's child's play. We're going to talk about that. Okay. Moving on to another film, moving on to this genre, you know, like this, that, and the other, they really just kind of like, it's it bounces all over the place from things you may have talked about a little bit beforehand, back and forth, but it does it in such a way that I think I think we discussed it like maybe they did that as a, a choice to kind of keep you engaged for four yeah. hours. And I'll tell you, it worked. It did not seem like a four hour documentary to me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, look, it's four and a half hours. It's long. It's going to feel long, but it's very interesting. And they keep up a good pace. Um, and, you know, buy it, watch it at home. You can pause it. You don't have to watch it in one four and a half hour sitting. Like um, I did. <laughs> yeah. So I was actually going to ask you that because, you know, it, this obviously targeted and created by the fans of the genre. Do mm -hmm. you think the format would be kind of off-putting to someone who might not be so into the... No, I think the opposite. I think the fact that it's a very common, like it's like all of those kind of EVH1 shows, so it'll it'll have that hook. And the fact that it doesn't really drag. Like it's, uh, it's a great documentary, uh, but it's very superficial in the sense that it, it doesn't like have a... the time to dive into every single movie, you know? It feels like a conversation that you'd 
be having about something you like as opposed to being like presented information. Yeah. You get that presentation. You get that like that deep cuts on like all sorts of stuff. Um, I don't know if a non horror fan would be able to sit through four and a half hours, but I think like if you were, if you had someone who's like interested in horror, you could be like, Hey, check this out. Here's a good way to get a crash course of, you know, the 10 very influential years in horror. It's like a sampler platter. Yes. Hey, there's 1980 here. Have a little bit of this, a right, little bit of that idea of it's also gives you an idea of what do you want to know more about, right? Oh, Hey, I was very interested in motel hell or maniac. Like I want to go see that now. I had a list of movies that I had never heard of before. Um, I was like, shit, I kind of want to see that. Well, as you guys know, like the eighties is like my bread and butter for like the horrors that the horror movies that I like. So like I was familiar with quite a few of these, but I'm going to play a little devil's advocate on that and feel like you don't have to be in horror, but if you were alive in the eighties, I feel like you were, you were familiar enough with, the Jason, the Freddy, the Hellraiser, yeah. like you could not avoid. These are like, it's like people who like say like, well, I've never seen Star Wars. It's like, well, that's fine, but you're familiar with fucking Star right. Wars, dude. It's like, you don't get to act ignorant because you've never seen the film. You know what the fuck a Jedi but is. They probably wouldn't want to watch a half day documentary about it. I agreed. <laughs> it is a, it is a time commitment, but it does get back to my point though. It doesn't feel like that. Like, no, because we're interested in the subject, but if I, you okay. are superficially interested in it, it would feel very long. But if you are at hmm. all interested in it, you're going to get absorbed in reliving memory or finding out about new things. Um, it's definitely meant for fans. I don't think it's... it's. Oh, yeah, definitely uh, meant for fans, but I feel like it's accessible enough for non-fans too. But you're right. Maybe that that time commitment might yeah. be a little bit of a sticking point for those who aren't committed to watching this. I can't imagine my wife, who's not a fan, like be like, yes, let's watch this four and a half documentary hour documentary about horror. I think like an hour in, she'd be like, how much longer is left oh, in this okay, thing? okay, okay. <laughs> She's like, wait, we're only in 1982? <laughs> One of the biggest questions I had when I was watching this was kind of like, okay, is this format, uh, is, is it working against the content's favor? Because the interviews and the people they chose were, were great choices. Um, there was a couple people that I was surprised were absent, but, you know, with a budget like that, you, in time and scheduling and everything, you may not get everybody. Of course. Um, but, like, if it were, like, maybe set as a miniseries, like an hour could, would contain 1980 to 1983, and then you have, you know, uh, an intro and an outro, and you can do the information that they kind of put between the years, like that format. Do it as like a four-part Netflix exactly. or Shutter type thing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think that might might serve the people that aren't the fans. Yeah, then you can watch it in chunks. But, I mean, theoretically, you could watch it in sections now because sure. it does uh, 1981 and then it you know it does offer natural yeah. chapter breaks that you could create yourself yeah. sure and absolutely. not only that i really love this aspect of it they would stop and like after like 82 or 83 they'd be like fangoria magazine uh special effects they touch on aspects of horror films at that time frame that were not necessarily like a uh, year related they touch on like the the concept of like you know like the slasher or you know practical effects. And I thought that was really good to kind of break up the, the yearly releases. Yeah. Like yeah. The, the, the sequential, there it is. Yeah. Right. And it gave them an opportunity to go in depth on certain topics. Like my favorite bit was when they talked about, uh, the last girl trope. And I think it was, uh, they were like, yeah, in my day that's called the star, you know, and how yeah. that was actually a very <laughs> feminist, uh, 
you know, for the 80s, a very feminist sort of uh, role, push boundaries. I really, that grabbed me. I was like, man, this is really, I never thought about it from, you know, this perspective. Well, so. that part where Ken talks about being like the first like African-American like dude to like survive. Oh yeah, um, Kincaid. Kincaid, yeah. And like, he's like, Wes Craven gave me the opportunity to be a star, survive. And like, I mean, that was, that was weird because as a kid, I didn't think about that. I mean, we Same. definitely knew that like, like, oh, cool. He didn't die. That's awesome. But he really was one of the earlier ones to do that. And that was this, this documentary is such a good job of just like giving you little pieces of information that were really impactful that you may not have known that could have been right under your face yeah. for years. And very few movies, you know, followed up on that until recently. Uh, to the point where it is such a trope, right? The minority dies first. Thankfully, we finally seem to be moving away from that. Yeah, some of the sections that the documentary presents us in between the the sequential movie samplers is, you know, it's like, why do we watch horror when there's so much horror in the real world? They talk about the political climate of the 80s. They even dig into the VHS era and making these movies more accessible to people, you know, that would never even know they existed otherwise. Special effects, like you said. They even briefly touched on the holiday slasher, villains and but um, uh, also sound that was yeah, insane. sound design yeah, they talk about the one. soundtrack at first and i was like okay cool soundtrack stuff and then they actually did this wonderful thing where they actually played a scene from friday the 13th part <laughs> two with and without the sound yeah and they like mute it on the screen and had the little mute icon and like it, it's so true it just changes everything and they also do a really good job, I think, of presenting multiple points of view and not taking a biased look on one thing or the other, especially when they were talking about the nudity aspect of a lot of these films. They had guests that would say, hey, I prefer stuff with nudity in it. I, I gravitate towards that. But then they have the women, you know, some of the female actresses would be like, if you didn't do it, then you just get the part. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was. I it think was, Barbara Crampton said something like that, and then Darcy, yeah. the male girl, was like the opposite. She of was that. like, she like, I love the nudity aspect of, it, but I'd like to see some dicks in there, which <laughs> was funny because I was like, that's a good point, you know. Yeah. Like, so uh, I think they do a really good job of not taking a stance on any of those particular issues and presenting both sides of it. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I think it was Robin Block that produced it, but who directed this? Directed by David Weiner. Or Weiner, or I don't know. Weiner. I don't know how you pronounce it. <laughs> if we're if we're butchering your name, we're sorry, David. Sorry, David. Um, but no, like that's awesome. Like this dude did an amazing job. Again, how do you take? And I can't even imagine all the B roll they have. Oh, like, it must if be the, insane. If the movie's four and a half hours long, this must he must have like weeks worth of like yeah <laughs> stuff to edit through. It's probably hundreds of hours for sure, right? Because it's like ten hours of B roll for every hour of footage is the normal ratio. So, and I can't find the editor's name anywhere, but. Man, shout out to you as well. Um, You guys, they they killed it. Like, this was comprehensive. Like, that's the word I would use for it. Comprehensive for an entire decade. Samuel Way. Samuel Way. uh, Editor. All right. You are a great editor. Shout outs to my man. How much coffee did you drink to get through this? (laughs) But, um, there was like a huge cast in this too. Yeah, we've got Heather Langenkamp from Friday the 13th, Joe Bob Riggs and Darcy from The Last Drive and Mick Garris. Shout out to Critters 2. Critters 2. <laughs> they, did, they did touch on Critters 2, which I thought was cool. Yeah, John Carpenter, Barbara Crampton, Bill Mosley, Don Mancini, Lloyd Kaufman of Troma even had a pretty predominant uh, placement in here. Tom Holland, not that Tom Holland. Sorry, Spider-Man. <laughs> um, we've got- Wasn't even born in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Thrill me. <laughs> Keith David, Nick Castle, Jeffrey Combs, Carolyn Williams, Elvira slash Cassandra Peters, Doug Bradley, Larry Cohen, Tom Atkins. Thrill me. 
That's thrill me. Alex I realized that's what I said. It. I was like, well, I fucked that one up. Sean Cunningham, Kane Hodder, and plenty more that I'm sure I missed. And much, much more. Yeah. <laughs> All the classics on one collection. If you call the buy in the documentary <laughs> now, we're going to throw in 40 extra guests right now, toll free. Um, what did you guys think of the, the content that was delivered per each movie? Did you find it like fulfilling enough was there any that you found lacking like the one thing that i noticed that some of the years seemed to be heavily loaded while maybe like say 1989 didn't get enough spotlight in my opinion you see what i'm holding right here you can't i'm holding a hair and this is where we start splitting okay <laughs> i think as a summary of movies from the 80s Yes, each, I think it did fine, right? Each one of those years probably could have had a four-hour documentary just on that one year, right? So I think I understand they had to slice away a lot of favorites um, to focus, I guess, on what they considered to be the milestone movies, the marquee movies of the year. So I, I thought it was fine. I, I viewed it as an overview, right? Like an introductory uh, in, uh, 80s horror 100. Um, <laughs> I thought it was fine in that regard. You know me, I love a good backstory. I love like as much information as possible. So yes, there was times they start talking about a film and I was like, I want to know more. But to what you said earlier, John, like this is a good primer. Yeah. This is a good like, you know, like like movies like, oh, I didn't, I hadn't heard of Dolls before. Yeah, same, I wrote that in my And list. I was like, I mean, I know like Draft House did like one of the like terror, you know, Thursdays or whatever yeah. with Dolls. And I was like, oh, that looks crazy. But after seeing it, like hearing some of like the stories they were telling about, I was like, I need to know more about this film. I'll go find out more about that. Yeah, I think like there's a four hour documentary just on the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise all alone, right? So never sleep alone. Yes. All of these movies you can go into consider. I mean, probably most of them have their own behind the scenes documentary, right? So it's like if, if they man, if they had gone longer, it would have had it been like a TV show. <laughs> this would have to have been like a seven part yeah. miniseries. But I mean, I would love that. Don't yes, get me oh, wrong. For sure. But yes, you could not one sitting it <laughs> if it was longer than four and a half hours. There, you know, there could very well be In Search of Darkness too, you know, and they could do this all over again with all new movies if they wanted to. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Again, like I said, if, if I'm going to find something that I could see where I could have used a little more, it's in things of like, why didn't we interview Robert England? You know, we, we interviewed Hel uh, Heather from Nightmare on the Street. I would have liked to hear at least one or two things he had to say about it. Well, and Savini was missing from this, too. Yeah, Savini. Um, I read a little something, an interview with the director who said that he was chasing him the whole time. But unfortunately, Tom uh, just had prior engagements, even after he agreed to do the documentary. But well, I think I mean, he was doing like a creep show episode. Well, on look Shutter. how many people there are in this, though. There's no way you could have like there's no way everything lines up perfectly. These are these are working people. Yeah. Like these are people who are doing what they do. You know, trying to get everyone's schedule within the release window of this movie. It would have been very challenging, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, and they had some people that I was like, "How did you guys even get him?" Right. You know, or her. So it was just like, "Wow, okay." So to have a few missing, like Savini or you know England, I can understand that. It's unfortunate, but, but I get it. It'd yeah. be nice to. I mean, maybe like do like a an online like little like here's the interview we never got, or here's some extra stuff. I wonder if this movie's going to have bonus features. It's going to have another four hour bonus uh, of cut material. <laughs> well, let me tell you, I, I, if I could envision the perfect way for this to come out, it would be in that Netflix style. I don't know if you guys ever watched the toys that made us. Yeah. That where it's literally good. like episode just focuses on one brand, one product. And, and you know, they have multiple seasons. Like this is what, this is so close to that. I was like, just craving more, you know, like you know, because I want to know more about that. Um, it's interesting you guys are asking about dolls. Well, that was produced by Charles Band. 
Oh, yeah. Who went on to do Puppet Master. Dude, Band did so much when it came to home video. Like, that dude, hmm. like, his, like, gate, I think they touched on this in the, the documentary, too. Like, yeah. but Charles Band, like, once home video and shit like that came out, that dude had a whole new life. And he's very scared of toys. <laughs> Which, please correct me if I'm wrong, and that brings me to my second uh, nitpick, is that Puppet Master seemed to be almost entirely missing from this. The reason that I think is because it was, it came out in October 12th, 1989. It's practically the 1990. First one? Yeah, the first one came out October 12th, 1989. So maybe they were just like, eh, too close to 90. Right. By definition, maybe. it would almost be a 90s franchise. If there's, what, 10 of these movies? 14? Yeah. So and I understand. Yeah. Most of them came out in the <laughs> 90s. That's a 90s franchise. And I understand, like, you love the Puppet Master series, but let's be honest, like, it's not one of the ones that people like immediately jump to. So and yet sir, people think sir, of dolls. Sir, I mean, point of order. Dolls was crazy back then, though. Like that movie came out, and it was just like, what the fuck? Point of order. You cannot talk about VHS and leave out Puppet Master because that's where it debuted, and it was a smash. I'm not. I'm not going to leave it out. I'm Second just saying, point of order. At, at this point, here's a picture on their website. Look what I've circled. Okay, yeah. I have circled one of the puppets from Puppet Master. (laughs) So I don't know why it's here and not in the documentary. Listener, Mark is pulling out uh, charts, graphs, (laughs) visuals. You'll see here the puppets are yay high. They literally only needed a few seconds. Objection! I will argue that Puppet Master was not that entertaining, okay? So if we do follow up on this with an interview with the director, I want you to ask him about that. Okay. okay. <laughs> do, right. do that for me personally. Well, look, you know, a lot of things happen in the 80s. Just because they don't like touch on it doesn't mean it's not going to be on the poster for the 80s. Yeah. You know, I mean, come on. You know, I think Breaking 2 came out in the 80s. It could but be, you don't see that. You don't see a critter. Or is there a critter on Where's a tremor? Didn't that come out in the 80s? No, that's no, a 90s. 90s. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. yeah. Nice try trying to what slide else tremors What in else you got? I don't know because I'm terrible <laughs> with dates. I, I don't remember what came out last year. Well, this so. sounds like this was a perfect documentary for you. Oh, yeah. This really helped because it was like, oh, that's the year that came out in. All right, cool. That's funny because when I was doing the, uh, the episode image for um, the Evil Dead 2013 remake, I swore it was 2012. I did the image completely. <laughs> completely wrong with the wrong year. And then you, uh, you put the description up and I was like, Oh damn it. So I like the fact that they put the years on this. Yes, that was nice. Very helpful. Yes, absolutely. Well, was there any parts or any interviews that really kind of stuck out to you as like, man, I had no idea that was a thing or like, what were the kind of the highlights of this documentary for you? Uh, I already touched on it, but I do think the final girl bit was really interesting. Um, cause I just, I, I mean, ultimately, I'm a man. I never thought about it from that perspective. And getting that take and that hearing it from that perspective, I was like, man, that is really cool. Like, it was a whole to hear way so to view it. Of like, you didn't get the role if you weren't willing to do nudity right. and stuff like that. You're just like, holy shit. Right. It was like so much in the sexy or the sexies, the 80s. It was <laughs> uh, the sexy 1967. <laughs> like so much in the 80s. It was both uh, very forward thinking because, yes, these were all these ladies, you know, these ladies who were stars of these films and very regressive in that, yes, you also had to be willing to be naked and scream a lot. But, you know, they talked about, hey, you had like Laurie Strode and all these other really strong female characters that you weren't really seeing in mainstream movies. That whole bit, I don't want to tell their tale, but it was very like, oh shit, that's really interesting. I'd say for me, like, I, I enjoyed what they touched on the movies, but I enjoyed what they touched on the the concepts and the themes um, kind of like the final girl stuff, the mm-hmm. sound aspect of it. Um, when they touched on the um, one thing I loved is they actually showed the old HBO 
intro that and they like I was like oh man I remember watching so many movies I wasn't supposed I to watch on HBO clearly forgot about that that did bring me back oh, I was like oh man that's burning into my brain because I watched so many horror movies I should not have watched because <laughs> I was terrified of them as a kid I was like oh my god There's talk- never been a better bumper. <laughs> yeah. um, but when they talked about the the cover art uh, with video, they were yeah. like, so many of these people picked these movies based off cover arts. And I know, I, I can guarantee you, we are all 100% guilty mm-hmm. of doing that. Oh, absolutely. I've rented so many damn movies based on the art alone. Absolutely. You know, there was no internet. You're not going to look it up and see, well, how many stars does this one have? You know, <laughs> you read the back of the boxes, but most of the time you just went by that cover image. You're like, this looks sick. I'm going to pick this up. Yeah. Truth. Actually, I I do want to commend them also on their uh, transitions between movies to movies because it is like a wall of VHS tape with all that art. Yes. You know what I mean? So they'll talk about one movie and they'll fade out and then it'll be like you're almost in a movie uh, video rental section and then we're going to pick up the next one and check out some stuff about that one. Um, Additionally, I really enjoyed when they compared and contrast the box art to stuff from the 90s and how boring that stuff looked when they were getting actual artists to create these beautiful images for these horror movies. Mm-hmm. I found that fantastic. I also really like, I really enjoyed how much we got to hear from John Carpenter. Like to me, like that was, he was one of the standout interviewees for me. It's just like hearing his takes on these things as we're going through hearing how he's like, I didn't want to do Halloween too. <laughs> he's like, I didn't think there was anything I've left to tell, you know, yeah. stuff like that. I was like, Oh wow. I hadn't, yes. you know, I had no idea about this. But I respect that he was like, look, I can't stop him from doing it. So I may as well try to make the best of it. Well, when they touched on Season of the Witch, that was something I was like, well, we might gloss over Season of the Witch. But no, they touched on the fact. And I love how like so many famous people associated with that and even just other directors and stuff like that were like, if they if they had not done Halloween 2, if the sequel had not been Michael Myers and instead the second movie was just the um, and not anthology, but like a different tale for each movie, we would have a completely different Halloween franchise. And that's. That was baffling to me because it like clicked in my brain. I was like, oh my God, they're right. Yeah. We would not have multiple Michael Myers is the way we know it. Like we would have different Halloween movies, which were their own unique tales. I'm gonna give a grave talk hot take. Personally, I think the pendulum has swung too far, and now everyone is get off of season of the witches nuts. I don't even hear anyone saying it's bad anymore. Now it's just people oh, no. saying... Oh, no, which was not good. How, I'm, gonna... <laughs> I'm like everyone else who thinks it's bad. I think it's good. All right, nobody thinks that anymore. Everyone thinks it's the best Halloween ever. It's not a hot take. Everybody likes it for how bad it is. We get it. Yeah, it's... Oh <laughs> I see, God. I love Season of the Witch for how bad it is, but I do not think it's a, a great film. And Spend three minutes on Twitter, and you'll see so many people, every time Season of the Witch comes out, they come out of the fucking woodwork to tell you how they get it. It, no, they really. This but is, I would say, I would say a lot of people also are like they should have called it something other than Halloween. Though. Sure, and it's a perfectly fine movie. Don't get me wrong; I think it's great, and it has the most annoying jingle ever created, uh, ever. Eight more days till mm-hmm. Halloween. That's the one. Halloween. Uh, but it's like, all right, let's back off some here. It is not God's gift to horror. <laughs> <laughs> what is God's gift to horror, John? Um, John Carpenter. Oh. Just the man himself. Thank you. Yeah, he's Thank done you, quite a bit. <laughs> I think that's the, the thing with time, though. And that's that's what's actually really cool about this documentary, too, is it really points out, like, from a modern take, how some people view things now that when they came out. Like, I listened to the, the podcast Unspooled, and, um, like, they talk about these movies that were not received super well in their time. And then how, like, times have changed and how we view things and view, like, certain tropes and film and stuff like that. 
through different like things that moved up on the AFI list mm-hmm. and like things have fallen off. And it's really interesting. I think we see a little bit of that in this movie where people can look back on season of the witch, for example, and be like, okay, look, not a terrible flick. Definitely not a good Halloween. You know, like we, yeah. we can view them through eyes of like, we see what it was doing. And at the time we probably had blinders on of like, where the fuck is Michael Myers? <laughs> it's interesting also to see, like they had the guy from, uh, was it Bloomhouse, the VP of creative content or something like that. And he was talking about like, he like says something about like guilty pleasures. And he's like, you look back on it now and it's like, it didn't have to be a guilty pleasure. Just what you were into. That reminded me of us doing this podcast. It's like, I love eighties horror. <laughs> like I will ride or die eighties horror before I'll go see a hereditary or anything like that. But I'll never knock you guys. Well, except for Leprechaun in Space. But the other best than horror that, movie. Like, that's God's gift to horror, Mark. <laughs> I re- I rephrased my answer. Leprechaun Four. God's gift to horror. But no, this really kind of did like a great thing where it just kind of like reminded you what you really enjoyed about this stuff. I also really enjoyed the interviews with Larry Cohen because I've never actually seen that guy in person or speak, and he seems like such an odd dude. The trauma dude? No, he's the guy that did uh, Cue the Winged Serpent, and he did The Stuff, Oh, and a lot of those movies. Where he's talking yeah. about beating The Stuff, he's yes. like, oh, I just beat the hell out of it. And I was just like, <laughs> all right, you psycho, that's awesome. <laughs> he seems like such an interesting dude. Um, one of the other things that I really liked was the when they got into Gremlins and talking about like how horror it was supposed to be before like Steven Spielberg got involved. I think they didn't even say like Gizmo was supposed to turn into Stripe. Yeah. And then Wait, they really? cha- yeah. And then they changed it because I was like, no, this is too cute of a character. Make him a hero. Make him a sidekick. Holy shit. So just thinking about like, you know, these ideas that almost were and how much that would have changed these movies. Like these are great perspectives to see on things that happen. And you know, that we still have access to these guys from back then and hearing their takes on that stuff 30 years ago. Well, what were some of the movies that you guys were kind of introduced to or made more interested in, John? You said there might've been a few that you put on your list. For me, one of them was like 976 Evil, directed by Robert England. I didn't even know about that one. I'm like, okay, I have to see this one. Another one was Night of the Comet. Okay, I've I've never know seen Night of the that. I know Night of the Comets. Look, if it's I've a seen. Night of movie, you guys know I love it. We're doing Night of the Demons. We've done Night of the Creeps. I love a uh, good Night the of. The stuff made my list because when I heard that guy talk about beating it, I was like, all right, cool. The stuff is really good. The uh, stuff I'd oh, never seen. Chopping Mall. I was oh, like, that's on yes, my list. Sign me up for that shit. Uh, that's on my list. That movie is so like. I don't even know. I want to say it. it's not even so much horror. It's more just like balls. To I don't the know what it is. it is. It looks awesome though. So sign me up robots. You shoot lasers in a mall. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> so I have a confession though. This movie did something that Mark, I think he'll be proud of. This movie got me to go watch evil dead Two. Oh, you saw it. I finally have seen evil dead Two. <laughs> okay. I enjoyed the fuck out of it. All right. A convert. Welcome to the club. I still don't like army of darkness. Still don't like, okay. I thought I got too, too goofy, but I think I, and I, this kind of goes back to seeing things with more mature eyes, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like I enjoyed Bruce Campbell's character so much more in evil dead too. And I think also seeing the, the remake of evil dead, seeing it played super serious Mm -hmm. was a nice juxtaposition between that. And I was like, okay, I see what you guys are doing here. So anyway, I have to admit to that because (laughs) it got me to go. So, Congrats, documentary. You got me to go back and watch that movie. Groovy. Thank you, In Search of Darkness. <laughs> we appreciate that. Uh, well, let's see. What else can we say about this before we wrap it up? This yeah. is like a cornucopia of like amazing tidbits, fantastic like little interview interactions. I think I enjoyed the most is just seeing all the people involved with these movies and um, the creators, the actors, the actresses, and just how they look back on these things. These interviews, I don't even call them interviews, but these like conversations 
were so uniquely candid in a way that like, I didn't feel like they're like, okay, let us sell you on this. or let us tell you about this franchise. It was more just kind of like, all right, you're familiar. Let's talk. Yeah. And I thought that was, that put me a lot of ease, especially when they drop like a really piece of good information. It's like, oh, it always took me by surprise. Yeah. They did a good job of that. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, to your point, there's just so much and I don't want to spoil, which is a weird word to use, but I don't want to spoil all the interesting facts, you know, that you learn. Even if we tried, I don't think we could. <laughs> uh, there's so much. Yes. Uh, I just say when it's available, buy it. It's great. Uh, highly recommend it. It is worth every penny. Yeah. I, honestly, probably more than they're going to charge for it. Well, that sounds like three recommendations from all of us. Uh, currently, if you go to 80shorrordoc.com, you can pre-order the film uh, up until the end of the month. It's running at 60 bucks, but they get you the Blu-ray and the uh, digital copy, I believe. Right. And remember, it's long. It is 60 bucks for a lot of content. And who knows what, you know, since we watched the screener, there's probably extras on the Blu-ray uh, that even add value to that. And you're supporting independent cinema, which is always media cool. media, too. True. Comes with a poster, comes with a pin. Um, a high quality postcard and the digital copy. Oh. So you oh. do get a little bit. Yeah. Of okay. That's why. Yeah, that's so. definitely. Uh, you've got, uh, like I said, till the end of the month, uh, midnight Halloween to order that. Interestingly enough, I came across three special edition or collector's editions of this movie. There's the Elvira edition. There is the, he was one of the guys interviewed, the dude from Slipknot, Corey Taylor. Oh, the uh, lead singer from Slipknot. Yeah, the Corey Taylor edition, and then the Dead Meat edition, which is another horror podcast. But those are available also on their website that you can pre-order. They will not be made available again after the pre-order is over. Hmm, so, that's cool. And it looks if, like they have a, like unique box art and everything. So Yeah, absolutely. They each have their own box art available. They'll have additional interviews from that person. So it, oh. it'll be like Elvira walks you through 81, 82, 83. Like, oh, Cassandra Peters, like yes. talk through like the kind of like a, like a director's commentary almost, but from the like the actor. Yeah. And she'll tell you like, oh, this was my favorite movie from 1981 or Damn, whatever. See, know? that's so, that's interesting. I think it's a little bit more expensive, maybe like 70 instead of 60, but it's still it's own your own Elvira packaging and pen and everything. Else, that's so. almost like it's almost like a second movie, though, <laughs> I know, right? like that narration over it. Yeah, so those are available. Uh, I think you're going to get three recommendations from us. This just debuted October 6th at Beyond Fest. After the pre-order's over, I'm not really sure where it's going to be made available. That could be something that they're looking to secure after this. Who knows? Maybe it could end up on a shutter or Netflix, whatever. It could, we'll see. yeah. Um, but this may be your only chance to own it physically. Right. Don't wait, because we don't know if it's going to end up on those <laughs> things. So if you want to see it, pre-order it, buy it. Yeah, yeah definitely. good point. It's, it's rare that you find something like this content-heavy that delivers across the board. And to me, the four and a half hours didn't even seem like four and a half hours. Like it kind of was like when it started coming to an end when it was like 1989, I was like, Oh yeah, oh, this is almost done. Can't agree with that part, but I agree with everything <laughs> yeah, yeah. else. Uh, that's me though. That's me. Well worth watching. Uh, I'd give it a, I'm going to say 4.5 out of 5 or a 9 out of 10. Ooh, that's a very high rating. I'm going to say 5 out of 5 and a uh, 10 out of 10. Math checks out. You only get a 4 out of 5 from me. Sorry, you're missing Puppet Master. (laughs) (laughs) Bring back the puppets. All right. Well, go check it out. Thanks for joining us for this mini episode, and we will see you at our regularly scheduled date of next Tuesday. Thank you very much.